Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. We are on a journey to find the information that's going to help you play the best golf of your life. Join us now as we dive in. Welcome, everybody, to the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough, here with two special guests. This is our first episode where we have two guests. So we're grateful to have Gary Nickel and Carl Morris here with us today. Just a little bit of background for for you guys. Uh, Gary is a golf pro out at Archer Fields, and uh, that's in... I didn't clarify this. That's in yeah. Scotland? It's in Scotland, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, just like say Edinburgh. Okay, there we go. And Carl is, all, is a, a golf professional as well and a performance coach. Uh, currently not affiliated with a, with a facility, but uh, if you guys are interested in having either one of them guys uh, help you out, they've got lots of, lots of resources. Resources that we're going to talk about today mostly is going to be from their two books that they published. The two books of Lost Art of Putting and The Lost Art of Golf, Golfing. Uh, thank you guys for coming on. Pleasure. It's a pleasure Good to join you. Looking forward to it. So I always start off asking everybody, you know, what got you into golf? So why don't we start with you, Carl? Yeah, my uh, my original background that sort of brought me to this stage was that I was uh, I, I was reasonable golfer as a junior. Um, wanted to turn professional, turn professional. Uh, wanted wanted to wanted to play on tour, but very very quickly realised that the uh, there was a gap between what I experience practicing on the range and what actually happened on the on the golf course and I suppose that was where the journey started really of being really interested in performance and what got in the way of performance I, I spent a good period of time teaching in in as, as a PGA professional but was always really frustrated that I'd see people's golf swings maybe improve on the range but it didn't transfer onto the onto the golf course and uh you know, many years later, I met Gary uh, on the European tour. We both spent a lot of time there working with uh, working with very good players, and we got we got talking, and then we did some some seminars and workshops up at Archerfield, which is one of the most beautiful places in the world, golfing wise. It would be a great place for when we get back to normal for anybody in America to to go and sample. It's right right in between Muirfield and uh, and Gulen, a beautiful place. Um, that's what you told me to say, Gary, about about it. Uh, about yeah, checks in the post, Carl. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. <laughs> um, but but no, we, um, we we obviously had a lot of common ground, and we were getting some amazing results in the in the the schools that we were doing, especially with putting. And I think we said one afternoon there must be a book in this, and mm. we, we we wrote the lost art of putting almost to just get our ideas clarified, really. And when it was published, got an amazing response, and then from that we published the. Uh, the lost art of playing golf, which uh, again, I'm sure Gary will add to this that uh, the response that we're getting on a regular basis and the reviews on Amazon have, uh, have really kind of astounded us, really. But it seems to have tapped into a, a, a moment in time where a lot of people are, are sick and tired of being overloaded with too much technique and the latest swing theories. And we, we're very much about you know, exploring ideas to get you get you actually playing better golf and holding more putts in the only place that actually matters, which is the golf course itself. 
Yeah, and that's exactly what I wanted to get you guys on here. But before we get into that, uh, Gary, can tell us a little bit about your background with golf. Yeah, my, my late father was a golf writer, so I've been around golf and golfers all my days. I can't remember not being around golfers. And, you know, when I was a kid, dad used to take me to golf tournaments when he was working. I'd be sent off to the driving range to watch these guys practice, to watch them go out and play. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I mean, we used to have guys like Brian Barnes, who is a, a Ryder Cup player of the past. So I think he's the only man to beat Jack Nicklaus twice in a day in the Ryder Cup. He used to come and stay in our house. So, you know, I've been around golfers and, and golf all my, all my life. And, you know, similar journey to Carl, really. You know, a, a pretty good junior, pretty good amateur, wanted to become a player because I was around players all the time. Playing with, I played a lot with guys who already had their tour cards. And I thought, I, I, I could do this. Um, turns out I couldn't um, because, well, for various reasons. I always used to think it was, you know, because I was, wasn't technically good enough, but now that I know slightly differently, I didn't have the, the mental capabilities to, to compete at the level I wanted to. And it's not until you kind of go through the, the pain yourself that you realize that. Um, so lots of lessons learned from my own experience, I guess, formed my thoughts and views on, on coaching. So, you know, similar to Carl, we, we've always kind of tried to view the game through the eyes of the golfer rather than the eyes of the coach. You know, it's all very well having all this knowledge and trying to impart it on the people you're working with, but you've got to look at it through their eyes. You've got to look at it through their lens to, to truly understand what they're experiencing before you can even begin to start helping them. Yeah, no, I, that's exactly true. I mean, it was an Einstein that says, you know, if you can't explain it simply enough for a, like a three-year or five-year-old to understand, then you don't understand it very well. And so, like, yeah, you have to have that knowledge and whatnot that we – you know, biomechanics or the swing techniques and stuff like that. But, you know, sure. to, really to, to really to be able to apply it, you have to be able to give that simplicity, which I think you guys did a very well, jo- good job in, in the bits that I, uh, of the books that I've, I've come across. Um, I haven't fully been able to read all of it, but I've, I've come across a lot, a lot of the information that you guys share. And uh, I found it very, very helpful. And that's kind of what I wanted to get you guys on here and, and talk to you. Sure. Um, one of the principles that you guys are one of the kind of things you guys put out there a lot Carl was alluding to it was you know about um how this well the question is that you guys pose is does the swing create the the shot of the putt or does the shot of the putt create the swing um Mm. so I'd love to kind of dive dive into that and where you know where does the that mindset kind of come from where do you guys come up with that Carl do you want to lead off on this yeah yeah I think it we we actually call it Jeremy the, the fundamental question in the game because most most and the problem is when you ask that question what's from a swing you can disappear into a into a, a great big dark uh, place that you may never emerge from because when you ask that question you'll get a bunch of answers based on people's opinion it's too upright it's too flat you, your hips are turning too far not far enough you're not creating enough grain reaction forces or whatever the latest theories may be Basically, what you're going to get is a lot of opinions, primarily based on how it, how it looks. However, if you turn the tables completely and you said, okay, what's wrong with my shots? Then you get a different uh, trajectory because you start with the end in mind so that, you know, if the ball's curving too much from right to left, too much from left to right, too high, too low. When you, when you ask the question, what's wrong with my shots? There's an end point because you can actually then see 
progress. You can work backwards from the ball flight that you're actually trying to, to produce. And, and as we've talked about many times, you know, Gary, I'm sure will allude to, you know, people say, well, such and such about it isn't a great looking golf swing. And we always know, so well, we don't know because we don't know what shot he was trying to hit. You know, and you can so much be, so much get drawn into the aesthetics of how a golf swing looks because we're a very visual society. But ultimately, the only thing that really matters when you play golf, at the end of the round, they ask you how many shots you've taken. They don't ask you how many swings you've made. So I think... Or how good the swings were. Or how, how good the swings were, yeah. Um, you know, one of the key, key ideas that we sort of say to people is that on any given day, you may not have your golf swing in the sense that your golf swing may not feel great, but you'll always have shots that you can play. And when people start thinking much more about shots, then the coach-player relationship becomes much more of a collaboration because you're moving in a specific direction. You're trying to move in a direction that you can then take on the golf course. Uh, and then it becomes a lot more fun. It becomes a lot more fun because you're then trying to reveal to that individual, what is their best way of producing shots, not just have a, a cookie-cutter approach of how a swing should look. Yeah, no, yeah I mean, very much so. I, 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 obviously, Carl and I have a very similar outlook on the, on the game. And, yeah, we, we have had many lengthy discussions long into the night on a number of occasions talking about, you know, how can we get the best out of the people we're working with? And it's, it, we find the easiest way and the most successful way, the best way, I guess, is is to draw that information out of them. You know, we're not overloading them with information. It's more about stripping it back. As Carl suggested earlier, you know, when, when you ask, you know, you could put a, a player in a room with 10 golf coaches and ask what's wrong in the swing, you're going to get 10 different opinions according to how they view the golf swing. You know, if it doesn't fit into their pigeonhole, then, well, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. And certain coaches will look for certain things. But if you ask, again, that question, what's wrong with the shots? Okay, they tend to finish a little bit short, a little bit to the right. That's a fact. That's not an opinion. That is a fact. So with, with, without a shot or an intention, how can you create a golf swing? You know, Carl suggested that... Um, <laughs> it'd be unwise to, to make a comment based on the form of a, a golf swing. And I made that mistake many years ago. I was asked by, who's actually one of my golfing heroes who became a very good friend, Gordon Brand Jr., who sadly passed away last year, a fantastic player, won numerous times on the European Tour, played two Ryder Cups. And we were at a tournament at Glen Eagles, a Scottish Open years ago, and he, he said, yes, if I could come and have a look at him on the range. I said, yeah, of course. So he hit about five or six beautiful big high draws with six irons. And he said, uh, what do you think then? I said, well, it looks fantastic to me. He said, well, it might do to you, but I'm trying to fade it. Oh. So, yeah, lesson learned <laughs> from that day on. And never again will I form an opinion without knowing what the player's intention is. Because it's crazy to do that. Right, and where this gets where this gets really interesting, I mean, I mean, it's all relevant at the moment with DJ just winning the Masters, and and all, and all credit to the coaching that he's received from uh, from Butch Harmon and um, and Claude Harmon. You know, if, if if you ask him what has been a big turning point of his career, has actually been being being really focused and clarifying his intention to play fades most of the time. Now, if you if you look at 
an isolated picture of DJ swing with that bowed left wrist and the club face shut at the top of the swing, you know, most people would assume that this thing's just slinging from right to left. But what, what they have done is give him a, a real clear pathway to produce in a certain shot that, that then that shot tends to balance out his tendencies. And that's why, you know, for any of your listeners working on this, if you understand that your golf swing will just be a, a series of tendencies that when you can then match those tendencies to a shot that you're trying to play. You know, I remember hearing the quote many, many years ago that great Sam Snead, somebody said to him, Sam, what do you do when you're hooking the ball? And he, uh, apparently he said, I just go to the range and, uh, range and I slice it for a while. Now that sounds flippant in, in, a, in a comment, but there's some genius in that because, you know, Sam Snead knew at some level instinctively that actually shots could balance out his get his golf game if it was shaping too much from right to left, hit the opposite shot, and then all of a sudden he's much more in balance again. So you know, I, I think what you the more you delve into this, the more it becomes exciting because you just think, okay, this year instead of endlessly working on a swing that doesn't have any endpoint, what about if I worked on golf shots? What about if I developed a repertoire of shots? You know, you just quoted Einstein. And it is a misquote, but but we all we all heard the one his his idea that the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. Well, if you've been working on your golf swing for twelve years and not getting any better, chances are the thirteenth year won't be the year that you make the breakthrough. No chance. Yeah, it doesn't add up, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, I mean, <laughs> hear the same thing. Uh, you know you guys talk about this and having that end in mind. I mean, you do the same thing with all your kind of goals and whatnot, right? So you have a goal. It's like, okay, this is what I want to get to. And then you just kind of break it down on how to, how do you get to that point? So why don't we look at the golf swing like that rather than thinking, Oh, I got to get my hands in, the, in this position or whatever. And, you know, obviously you can work back to, like, we'll, we'll say impact. Cause that's really all that really the ball cares about is how that club hits it. But, but yeah. If, if you allow the task to create the technique, we find that a far more efficient way of playing the game. You know, give anyone, as human beings, we're pretty good at performing tasks if we've got a very clear intention for what that task is. So, I mean, I see this on a daily basis. You know, guys who come in, or ladies who come in, all they can do is put it left to right. They hate the slice. They hate the fade. Oh, they just despise it. Then ask them, you know, is it possible you could actually shape the ball the other way? Well, I don't know. I've never done it before. Well, let's see if you can do that. Is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. Okay. So how would you go about that? Well, are you not going to tell me? Well, no. Let's explore how you're going to create that shot. So once you have a very clear intention for the shot, you know, I would say, can you imagine the shot tracker of a draw shot as you would see on TV? Yeah, I can visualize that. Great. Okay. So can you play that shot? Well, I don't know. Let's try. Okay. So then they would ask, am I allowed to aim a little bit to the right? Am I allowed to close the face? Yeah, do whatever you like. Whatever you need to do to perform that task, <clears throat> excuse me, you figure it out. And it's astonishing how quickly and how efficiently 99% of people who are given that task can actually perform it. And the, the paradox here is their technique improves as a result of the task. Whereas you can work endlessly and try to improve your technique. But unless you have that very clear intention for what the task is about to be, what the task you're trying to perform is, then it means nothing. All you've got is a pretty golf string that may hit the ball left, right, straight, high, low, whatever. You, you just don't know. 
as people are so quick to judge, oh, that was a bad shot, that was a terrible shot. Well, relative to what? You know, what was yeah. your intention? Well, you know, I, I was trying to hit it dead straight. Well, really? Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. This is, I've, I've seen thousands, if not millions, of golf shots hit over the years, and yeah, the ones that go dead straight, they tend to be about as rare as unicorns. Right, exactly. Um, so with that, you, you know, you mentioned having that visualization to kind of create that. And so with, with us getting into, for many people in the world, getting into the winter months uh, where sure. golf, golf is, becomes a little less accessible to people, what, what, mm-hmm. how can that be a form of, you know, training <clears throat> and to, to improve their performance? Well, I think yeah. regardless of the weather, you can still – excuse me, your, your mind isn't going to be affected by the, the temperature. You don't have to go outside to, to practice your visualization skills. You know, you can sit in your most comfortable armchair with a nice glass of wine or a cup of coffee, whatever it is you do of an evening. And, you know, you can put yourself in a position where you're, you're standing on the first tee of your favorite golf course or perhaps a golf course you've seen on tee that you, you'd, you'd love to go and play. You know, Augustus just finished Dustin Johnson. You know, do you think he knew what he was doing? He could see all the shots he wanted to play. If you look at Tiger last year, you know, the, the variety of shots that he played, they didn't happen by accident. You know, Dustin Johnson wasn't hitting any shots down the stretch, the back nine Sunday, by accident. He had a very, very clear intention for what he was trying to do. So I'm sure he has played that golf course in his mind a thousand times, as they all have. You know, it's not unique to golf, skiers. Most athletes will visualize exactly what they're trying to do. And, you know, the, the research on it is very, very strong that when you have that very clear intention for what the shot is, your brain and body, as Carl will, will explain perhaps in a bit more detail, that your, your brain and body will create a map of movement required to produce that shot or produce that, perform that task, whatever the task may be. It's not just relevant to golf. I mean, you'll know from your world, Jeremy, that, you know, man, humans, we, we've evolved to make movement based on a clear intention from the days when we roamed around in caves and we had to secure prey, you know, that you, you would come out and you had, to, you had to throw an object to hit a target. Well, I would imagine in those days that there probably wasn't rock throwing coaches and spear throwing coaches, thankfully, or we may never have, uh, we, we, we may have ended up like the dinosaurs. Because we, we do know from dynamic systems theory that, that the body will organize movement based around a clear intention. If I, if I intend to throw this from here, whatever it is, to that target over there, my body will organize movement. Yeah, and of course we can refine that movement, but the fundamental premise is that there's a clear intention. You begin with the end in mind. You actually start with what you're trying to get the body to do rather than with golf. We tend to do it the other way around. We try and fix all the body movement and then hope that we, we create, create a shot. But, you know, in light of what you've just said about, about a visualization in the wintertime, one great exercise I'd recommend all your listeners uh, to do as they're coming into winter, uh, because most golfers listening will have had that experience where they stand on a hole and as they stand on the tee, they just know they're going to hit a good shot. They just get a good feeling. Well, that isn't, that isn't an accident. Basically, what your brain is doing is it's triggering a memory of past success. So your brain said, I can do this again. Well, why don't, why don't you 
over the winter time, build a library of those experiences. So you could just ask yourself th- simple questions like, okay, this year I've played a lot of golf on my golf course. What's the, what's the best shot I've hit off the first tee? What's the best approach shot I've hit off the, into, the second, into the second green? And go through the entire golf course. Go through your entire home golf course. Write them down in some detail. Because the more richly that you can vividly reimagine the best shots of the year, don't be surprised that next year that you come out and then you more regularly, you stand on a certain tee and feel good for no apparent reason and hit a great shot. Well, it's because you've pre-programmed in past experience. It's the complete opposite of what most of us do, where we have a, a couple of holes on a golf course that we don't like. We call it a bogey hole. And that's great learning because all you're doing is your brain is triggering past negative experience rather than, as we're saying here, create a clean slate, go back over your shots for the year. You know, you could, you could also say, say to yourself, okay, well, what's the, what's the best drive of it all year? What's the best put of it all? Just that you can, you can play around with these ideas so much, but the, the act of vividly reimagining and writing them down, you know, I, I just think it's a great thing that you could do. Build, build a library of success. That would be, that would be a great thing to do for the winter. Yeah. I love that idea because, you know, we talk about, uh, in physical therapy using mirror, the mirror neurons in our brain. So why does, yeah. why do you yawn when you see somebody yawn? Well, because exactly. these neurons fire causing you to do that exact same movement. Well, when you're doing your visualization that you're talking about uh, and, and writing it down, your neurons are firing, even though you're not performing that task. So it's, it's wonderful. And, and, and so I, I love that idea of, of really wiring those, those thoughts to the task that you're wanting to accomplished you know ultimately it makes so much more sense to wire in the things that we've done well rather than focus on the things that we've not done so well you know and 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 I think so much of golf is about tell me what I'm doing wrong well what about changing that question to tell me what I do when I do it right how does the swing feel how does the swing flow and you know I think most golfers would would if they if they could if they could actually access what they're already capable of they'd be pretty happy most most golfers are not accessing what they're currently capable of doing because there are so much inside of the head with so much technical information as you say you know as we've talked about you get the opposite effect then that that we, we we're so busy over the golf ball that the body can't organize efficient movement you you ask most golfers tell me about your best golf and they'll, they'll generally use words like flow and effortless and timing and rhythm. And those are much more sort of whole concepts rather than positional concepts. You don't, I've not heard too many people say, yeah, I played my best golf when I, I started to rotate with my left hip and drag my right elbow into my side. You know, those are the things that tend to get in the way of flow and motion. I think what we tend to do uh, as golfers and certainly I guess we've all been guilty of it at some point in the past is, you know, we, we tend to observe effects rather than causes. And we, we tend to feel as golfers, we, we feel effects rather than causes. So that, that's what we pay attention to. And we, we try to repeat these effects, but unless you know what creates that effect, then all you're doing is trying to repeat a, a movement, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. You know, I've always been quite inquisitive in so much that, yes, I want to observe what's going on, but that's never been enough. I've always wanted to find out why is that happening? What is the, what is the root cause of that? Until you can trace it back to the root cause, you're, you're, all, you're just going to be running around in circles forever and a day. 
Yeah, and I mean, you talk about you know trying to repeat that that movement. I I think I saw like a, a case study. I think it was on like Steph Curry for basketball and okay. how he, where he releases the ball uh, on his shots. And there's a huge variance of the angle and degree that he releases it. And so yeah. I'm sure you'd see the exact same thing amongst even the best golfers. You know, like Tiger Woods or or even DJ. So, um, it's such and, an, well, and that's an, that's a, sorry, and that's a very kind of a relatively sterile, predictable environment, like a, a basketball court. Now, can you imagine how much variation there would be on a golf course when it's windy one day and it's flat cam the next day, when it's 30 degrees one day and 75 the next? You know, you've got a downhill lie, the ball's below your feet, you've, you've got to play a shot into the wind, you've got a, the wind coming off your left shoulder, whatever it is. Every shot's going to be different, therefore there has to be a slight variation in the technique required. But again, until you know what you want the ball to do on any given shot, then how do you know how to move your body in order to, to perform that task, to create that shot? The, the amazing thing is, though, Jeremy, that this knowledge has been around for, you know, best part of 100 years. Go back to the 1920s, I think, with Nikolai Bernstein, you know, who, um, a, a physiologist who, who studied, he, he created that famous experiment with blacksmiths where he got mm. expert blacksmiths to hit a nail and of course, the, the blacksmith hit the, the, the middle of the nail with the middle of the hammer pretty much every time. But when he analyzed the movement, there was variation in every single motion. So this idea that we can program a swing like a computer does not stand up when you scrutinize it with human beings. We're not built that way. We're not built to replicate movement. We're built for flexibility. We're built, we're built for adaptability. We've survived as a species by being able to adapt to an environment. So really, when you think about it, as Gary's just said, you go on a golf course, it's the ultimate dynamic environment. So the idea that you could just stand there and repeat a motion, the more you, the more you go down that, the more you realize how nonsensical it is. So all these words, like I want to be more consistent, which every golfer utters, it should actually, the, 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 the holy grail should be, you want to be more adaptable that you want to be able to adapt your game to whatever the golf course is asking you today and however you feel today. You know, you'll, you'll know from the movement therapy world that, you know, the feelings and sensations in our bodies are, are tremendously variable from day to day. Well, if you're, if you're hoping to feel the way that you felt yesterday and if it feels bad today, then you're not a very adaptable golfer. And, you, and you're always then in panic mode trying to, fa- trying to feel what you felt 24 hours previously. And the system doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely feel differently. I think everybody, every golfer can relate to that. You know, sometimes you get out there and you know, it just feels smooth and the other days it doesn't. And so yeah. um, I think that's very, very cool. So let's, uh, you guys cover several principles in, in your books and uh, let's start with, we're just going to talk about the lost art of putting uh, because I think sure. that's something that is, you know, everybody could basically practice that some way in, in, during the off season and whatnot, whether it's indoors or outdoors, this doesn't require a full swing and whatnot. But what I wanted to talk about was to you know, talk about these six principles in, in the book. Um, I'd be curious about, you know, maybe one of your, one of the principles that you guys feel like is, is more maybe crucial for the typical golfer and, and how they can kind of maybe apply that a little bit. Gary, you want to start? Yeah, I think, as Carl alluded to earlier on in the conversation, you know, when we first started doing some putting workshops and schools together, we were having some, some great success and 
we'd, we'd often talked about writing a book together, but we hadn't really found a subject. You know, we, we knew it was going to be golf-related, but it was never our intention to write a putting book. Um, I don't think that even entered the, the conversation, never mind being top of the list. But through the, the putting schools we were doing, we thought, you know what, we've actually, I think we've, we've, we've stumbled across something here. We've struck on something here. So, you know, the six principles, we thought, right, well, we'll let's write these things down. Because we need to be able to, you know, as much to get them out of our minds and onto paper. And I've got a little card here, which I don't know if you can quite see that, but this little card here turned into a book, essentially. And, you know, the, we, the way we've structured the book, it is, it is in sequence. So, you know, I'll just run through them very quickly. The first principle is your story. You've got to be very aware of the story you're telling yourself, the way you talk about yourself, the way you talk of yourself and to yourself as much as anything. One of the things that I always say to anyone I'm working with, you know, you would never speak to anyone the way you speak to yourself on the golf course because you'd have no family or friends left. You'd, have, you'd be the most lonely person on the planet. You know, so be very careful about how you speak to yourself and of yourself. Carl will tell a great story about uh, Tom Kite and Ben Crenshaw, who were both coached as, as college golfers by the great, late, great Harvey Pennick, who wrote The Little Red Book. He was, Carl was one who kind of brought this to my attention. You know, these guys went to see him shortly before they turned pro. And he said, you know, Mr. Pennick, there's one piece of advice you could give us to help us in our professional careers going forwards. What would it be? And, you know, the, the legend has it that he, he sat for a couple of seconds and turned around and he thought, right, okay, what would, what would be really helpful to you? Go to dinner with good putters. Which sounds like a really kind of off-the-cuff, throwaway, flippant comment, remark. But what he was saying was, don't hang about the doom and gloom squad. Don't hang about with the guys who bitch and moan about missing three-footers and never holding enough ten-footers. Hang about the guys who talk positively about their putting successes. You know, you want to hang about with winners, don't hang about with losers, basically, which is fantastic advice. So, you know, we all carry a story. We tend to live out the story that we keep telling ourselves. You know, if you're the kind of guy who always has three, three putts every round you play and you haven't had any by the time you walked off the 15th green, well, I think we all kind of know what's going to happen over you. You, you can expect over the next three holes because we'd rather be, we'd rather be right than good. Carl's, again, one of his famous lines is, you know, he talks about the thinker and the prover, what the thinker thinks the prover proves. I think if you want to elaborate on that, Carl. Yeah, it's kind of like a mechanism in our brain. It's a metaphor for the idea that, you know, whatever, whatever you think about your abilities, there's that part that thinks that you're a poor putter, but there's another part of you, the prover, who's always searching for evidence to back that up. So what the thinker thinks, the prover aims to prove. So if you're carrying that story, that, that narrative of being bad at putting, every time you three-port, it's another opportunity for the prover to confirm that story. So, you know, the, the great value, hopefully, is seeing your putting through the lens of a story. Is The good news is that stories can change. You can, you can alter the players. You can alter the script. And that would be the message from the book, is that you draw a line in the sand if you've been struggling on the greens, and you decide to consciously change the story. 
Now, that doesn't mean you just close your eyes and chant that you're wonderful on the greens. What you do is you embark on a process of understanding how stories are created and then actively become. We talk, I talk about it being the director rather than the actor. You know, the actor is just following a script. The, the, director, the, the director decides what the script is going to look like and sends the movie in a certain direction. But most people are just acting out a script and not just golf, in life in general, but if you actually stand at the back of the theatre and say, I'm now going to direct the movie, then you're actually in the director's seat. And it's, you know, we could spend a whole podcast just talking about the power of stories, really, um, because if you keep hearing a story enough times and repeat it enough times, that becomes your reality. But the very act of just challenging your story is really powerful. You know, just asking yourself, what story do I carry around with me about putting, about golf, about, about health, fitness, life in general? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I think it's huge. The ability to just, I mean, to take ownership really is what it comes down to, right? Um, well, ultimately, we are, the, we are the writers of our own, we are the authors of our own stories. Right. So you can't go back to the very beginning. You can't go back to day one and change it. But what you can do is start a new paragraph, start a new chapter, start from now, as of today, I'm going to go on a journey, an adventure, whatever it is you, you want to brand it as, to becoming the best possible putter I can be. We can all do that, regardless of what level you're at, whether you're a, a weekend warrior or a, a season tour pro. It doesn't matter. If you, but if you keep telling yourself you're not very good at something, you know, if you, you set the bar pretty low, then as soon as you get anywhere near that, bar, you are, I'd never have any less than 32 putts. So when you've got, you've only had 20 putts or five holes to go, phew, you know what's going to happen then, don't you? This old self-fulfilling prophecy kicks in. But just on a practical level, Jeremy, you could look at it this way and say, well, okay, I'm going to challenge my story. I can't just think myself into being a better putter. What would be one key element? Well, as Gary's alluded to, you know, one, one big principle that we have is that pace is such an important part of becoming a great putter that, a lot of golfers ignore line seems to be the sole focus for most people. If they've got gadgets that they work with at home, they'll all be about the alignment of the face and the path of the putter, which we're not saying isn't important. It's a relevant part, but we, we've found that pace, if you improve that can actually transform your game. You know, we've not got time to go into it tonight about all the reasons why that is so important, but you know, what is one of the most important skills to develop to become better at pace is hitting the middle of the club face more regularly. Now, this isn't important just for putting. It's important for the whole game, but putting especially. And you could work on that at home. You know, so we get people to do a simple drill. You could do this on your, on your carpet at home. Stand with, the, stand with the ball in the middle of the putter. Swing it back. Deliberately hit it off the toe. Do that a few times. Notice how that feels. Again, start with the ball in the middle of the club. Swing it back. Deliberately hit it off the heel. And then when you get the opportunity to really embrace dynamic learning is then hit some putts and see if you can sense, see if you can sense centered strikes. And you will do because you've, ex, you've experienced the opposite end. You've experienced toe strikes and heel strikes. It's the opposite of what most of us do. Most people are completely unaware of where they're hitting the ball relative to the face. And that one simple skill can be developed so much in the wintertime at home. It's hitting the middle of the putter more often, having the intention to do so. Well, guess what? Next year, if you hit a bunch of putts out to the middle of your putter regularly, you'll be better at pace. If you're better at pace, you'll three-putt less. 
if you're better at pace, you'll all more medium range puts. So, you know, from one simple, simple drill, one simple focus, you can have a transformative experience. It's kind of like that Pareto principle of 20% of effort gives 80% of return. But it's understanding the rationale behind it and why. And on the other hand, you could spend forever working on technique. But then if you're not aware of, of where you strike the ball relative to the club face, because you've just been trying to move your body in a certain way, and you get on the green and be useless, your feel for pace is, is nowhere near what it should be. And all that work that you've done in the winter isn't really transforming, uh, transferring into holding more putts. And then you, yeah. keep, you go back to the same old story. Mm. The story yeah. doesn't change. Yeah, and I mean, like you said in the beginning, you know, you keep doing the same thing and you got the, the whole insanity trying to expect a different result from doing the exact same thing. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's, well, it's very powerful, but it's often overlooked, largely overlooked. You know, as soon as someone's putting goes off or their ball striking goes off in their long game, the first place they look is what we're doing technically. What, why? What, what's going on? Is it my backswing? Is it this? Is it my alignment? Is it my dress position? Whatever. But unless you change your story, changing your swing is not going to make a blind bit of difference. Yeah, and. You know, I think the, the simplicity of it uh, where is, is huge because we oftentimes overlook those simplest, simple things. You know, what I, what I preach to a lot of people is, okay, hey, what are some of the best, you know, performance-enhancing things that we can do in our lives? Well, that's sleep, hydration, good nutrition, right, and regular yeah. kind of movement exercise. I think those are some of the best things to kind of help our, help our golf game. But how much of that gets overlooked? How many people, you know, keep track on, how much water I've been drinking or, or did I get a good night's sleep last night? You know, I think some of the, some of the, the pros have been starting to look into that. And so I think it's becoming a little bit more, we'll say mainstream to be, be tracking these kinds of things and looking at these things with the different fitness trackers and, and stuff like that. Sure. But, yeah. Um, you know, at no point we saying that technique isn't important, but it's not always the first port of call or very rarely is it the first port of call. Yeah. So you, you, you got to, there's a few things that come before we start looking at technique. And yeah. really, you know, I certainly the lost art of well, both books, the lost art of putting and the lost art of playing golf, they were never designed to be how-to books. They're, they're, not, they're not technical instruction manuals. They're more about learning all the other human skills required to, to play better golf. And, you know, yet performance is clearly important, but I think enjoyment's often overlooked as well. You know, we all started playing golf and kept playing golf because we enjoyed it. You know, not everyone who plays golf wants to be world number one. Not everyone wants to, who plays golf on a Saturday, Sunday morning wants to shoot a course record. You know, they just enjoy being out and about. So, again, one of the, the questions that we, we ask everyone we work with, and certainly in the, the lost art of playing golf, we, we ask the question, why do you play golf? It's such an important question to ask. And we, there is no right or wrong answer. We all have our own reasons for it. Yeah, that's a question that I, I asked uh, anybody that comes and sees me in the clinic uh, for fitness or physical therapy. is like, you know, why are you here? Right? Why, why, did, yeah. why, why now? Why did you decide to come see me? Because, you know, it, it, it helps them formulate, you know, wait a second, really, what is the real reason why I'm here? Yeah, yeah. And we very rarely accept the first answer because it's generally the one we think it's the one we want to hear. 
<laughs> which is you got to be true to yourself. Yeah, definitely got to be true to yourself. Sorry, you got a bit off track there. Uh, no, that yeah, was so, that was awesome. Uh, um, I think you know just to honor Yuris's time here, uh, let's let's go into our wrap up questions that I ask everybody that comes on, and we'll just have to get you on another time to talk more about this stuff because so far this has been all great. Uh, so okay. first. First question that I ask ever, uh, as a wrap-up is, what's your favorite golf memory? Carl, you want to start? Uh, favorite golf memory was probably seeing Seve hold a putt at St. Andrews to win the Open um, when he seemed to magnetize the ball into the hole and the famous uh, fist pump afterwards. That would be the one that still sends shivers down my spine. Awesome. That's a good one. Gary? That's pretty high on my list. Um if, it, if that wasn't number one, it'd be number two. My, I'm going to go back a year prior to that, the 1983 Ryder Cup at Palm Beach Gardens, where Seve hit a three-wood out of a fairway bunker with about a four-foot lip that he started. I mean, he, he played partners and he's caddy. They're all shaking their heads saying, what is this crazy Spaniard doing? There's just, what is he doing? He's going to hit it straight into the face. And it was his third shot to par five, the 18th hole, and he started, he hit this big high draw that he started way out over the water, drew onto the front of the green. And I don't think, I mean, I was there, I was 16 years old, but I was there with my dad who was uh, writing about the, the event at the time. And I'd gone out to watch, and I just thought, that's just not possible. You cannot do that. And I, there couldn't have been any more, because the, the Ryder Cup, even as you know, relatively recent as that, wasn't such a big deal then. You know, you, you wouldn't be able to get within a thousand people of seeing that shot. There, there couldn't have been any more than 150 people standing within 100 yards of him at the time. So to actually see it with my own eyes, I think Jack Nicholas actually shook his head and said, uh, Nick Nicholas actually said that was the greatest golf shot that he's ever seen hit. That's pretty awesome. Well, I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go with him then. I'm not going to argue with Mr. Nicholas too often. <laughs> if he says it's the best, it's the best. <laughs> awesome. So next one, what's your favorite exercise or drill to improve your personal game? I'll go first on this one. Take what your lies on the golf course to the putting green. One ball and a putter and just create a whole lot of different putts. Don't take two balls. Don't take three balls because part of the skill of putting is prediction. And you know what it's like. You ask, most people take three golf balls. Why do you take three balls? Uh, don't know. They come in sleeves with three. I've just always done it. Yeah, that's what they do. So you hit the first one about two feet past. So you think, ooh, green's a bit faster than I thought. You leave the next one short because you've hit the first one two feet past. But because we're super skilled athletes and absolute geniuses, by the time you get the third one, you've probably got it sussed out. And we think we've cracked it. Mm, doesn't work like that. You don't get a second or third chance. You don't get a second serve. You don't get a third serve. I know lots of guys who hold the third putt, but not many who can hold the first or second because you're not paying attention to it. It's not until you've missed two that you start to be starting, shit, I better start paying attention to this one, see what's going to happen here. Take one ball, one putter, and just go around the putting green, vary uphill, downhill, left to right, right to left. Not only is it a lot more interesting, it's a lot more fun, and you're improving your putting skills. Most people who go to the putting green will go to work on their putting strokes, not on their putting skills. So that'd be my, that, so that's the one that gets my juices flowing. 
Yeah, I, w- I would say if um, if there was one, I kind of alluded to it already. If you if you're in training mode or skill building mode, I call it trapping the feeling, whereby and you can use this, you know, in so many different ways. I've just said that if you hit some off the toe, hit some off the heel, you'll you'll find the middle of the club. Or you could do the same thing for for, for rhythm. Um, you know, hit, hit some shots where you 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 swing it way too fast hit some shots where you swing it way too slow and then your brain will trap the feeling somewhere in the middle in there again you can use that principle for ball flight ball trajectory uh hit it, hit it to the right hit it to the left then can you can you find a bit more of the middle ground so yeah tra- trapping the feeling is is it's pretty much how humans learn skills you don't learn skills by getting it right you learn skills by organizing either side a baby learns to walk not by getting it right but by falling to the left falling to the right and then organizing in the middle and we don't do enough in that in golf we just stand there trying to get it right yeah always looking for perfect yeah what's uh what's one takeaway you would like the listeners to apply uh, from our discussion today carl um i, I would say maybe the most powerful thing is to become aware of the the power of the story, your story, the story that you're telling yourself, not just in your golf, just as I say, in your fitness, in your, in your nutrition, in, in your, in your life in general, what's the, what's the narrative that you're carrying around with you? Because a lot of those narratives have been given to you by other people. And the minute you, you actually just challenge that, look, look at back, look at back at the old story and then make a decision that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to change the direction of this. I'm going to actually start writing a new story. And the best way of doing that is getting clear on what you want the new story to be and then building it on a, on a daily basis. Gary. Be aware of the way you speak to yourself and about yourself. So imagine you and I are playing golf, Jeremy, it's Sunday morning, beautiful sunny day. You hit a tee shot down the middle of the fairway, and I say, good shot. You say, yeah, thanks. But, you know, I cut it a little bit low in the face and a little bit out the heel. Okay, fair enough. But if you hit that same shot and I said, nice shot, Jeremy. It's a shame you cut it a little bit low and a little bit out the heel, isn't it? You think, how dare you? Don't speak. No, it was a good shot. It went down the fairway. But we're, we're more than happy, more than ready to speak to ourselves like that. But as I said before, we would never speak to anyone the way we speak to ourselves so be a little bit kinder to yourself again which links into the the story all right so yeah don't don't beat yourself up don't keep calling yourself an idiot because you know the thinker and the prover you keep (laughs) telling yourself you're an idiot you're going to start behaving like one yeah well gary and carl it's been a pleasure thank you so much for coming on today Uh, before we wrap up just give us a you know how can we support you guys and learn more about what you guys do yeah. Sure. If you want to find out a little bit more about what I do, you can visit www.tpegs.com or go to archerfieldgolfclub.com. But for both of us, and Carl, we'll let Carl speak in a minute. I'll keep stealing his thunder here. Um, <laughs> if you go to the lostartofgolf.com, there's lots of really good resources there and you can order books there you can order digital downloads of videos as well so yeah we'd, we'd love to have you visit the, the lost art of golf.com yeah i think uh, thanks jeremy for that i've enjoyed being on your show it's been uh, been a great conversation that's flowed in lots of different directions which is always a always a good sign um as gary mentioned about the books there if uh, maybe you use winter time as a chance to to do some reading for your golf um, the books um, are available on Amazon or, as Gary said, the Lost Art of, uh, Lost Art of Golf website. 
but for my for my side of it, uh, my my website is the the, the mindfactor.com. We have uh, various uh, various things on there. Um, run training courses, coaching courses. Uh, we do a certification that uh, coaches can do online, a Mind Factor certification. Um, so yeah, there's lots of lots of different things there that uh, are on the mindfactor.com. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of the Golf and Apart podcast. We'll have that information that Gary and Carl just shared with us in the show notes. Thank you guys for coming on and thank you all for listening. Thanks, Jeremy. It was good fun. As Carl said, you know, the conversation that went all over the place. Went a little bit off piece at times, but yeah, that was good fun. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed this content on the go. If you found it helpful, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more golfers just like you that want to play under par. Do you want to be stronger and healthier? Well, I've got a resource, Golf Fitness Tips. It's a free Facebook group where we talk about how to take care of our bodies so that we can play more golf, we can play golf longer in life, and we can play better on the course. If that interests you, then check out the link below or search for Golf Fitness Tips on Facebook.